Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugh and Gons. We're on to episode 28. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hugo. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Thanks very much, guys. Gons, welcome. I'm, I could be better, to be honest. Just finished playing a paddle match and it's, bit, it's been pretty stressful. One of those days where it just doesn't go your way. And even though we didn't finish, we were pretty much doomed and we're about to lose. So, hey, doesn't matter. On to the next one. But, yeah, very excited to chat, chat some paddle, which is the most important thing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and what a tournament we've had. We're obviously coming from the Malmo Open. And it's, I think it's been quite an interesting tournament. The first thing that I want to ask you which I think is probably one of the main topics and uh, one of the main outcomes of this tournament. But can you finally say that Lebron is back? <laughs> to be honest, I thought you were going to say, can you finally say that Lebron and Galan will be playing together in 2024? Oh, we're, we're past that point. <laughs> um, Lebron's definitely back. There's no questions. And... I was listening to analysts and World Paddle Tour commentators saying that, well, I think it was Galan as well, after, in one of his interviews, saying that Lebron's basically had to reinvent himself. He's still not using his smash, which was his best shot, probably his most important shot, his most decisive shot throughout his whole career. But he's reinvented his paddle. And his bandejas at pinpoint, they're as good as I've ever seen them. And we've always said that Lebron's bandeja was probably one of his weaker points. It's now winning so many points, not just through power, but more through placement. His volleys are at the best that I've seen them, particularly his backhand volley, which is really important, obviously, as we know, when you play on the forehand, the slice that he gets on it is unbelievable. His drop shots are back, which, oh. to be honest, they're the best. I think he's got the best drop shot on tour because it's just so consistent and he brings it out probably and, three, four times every match. And the ball just dies. Like, it does not lift off the ground. Completely, completely. But as I say, it's just not just the aesthetic side of it. It's how effective it is yeah. and how consistent he is with the drop shots. He basically wins every single point he tries to drop shot. So, yeah, he's definitely back. But I have to say my MVP, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but my MVP's got to be Alejandro Alan. He, well, throughout the whole tournament, he's been sensational. He has been unbelievable over the past few weeks. But just to drop a quick stat before we delve into the matches, our colleagues at Paddle Up, who I very much enjoy listening to, I was listening to one of their podcasts, one of their episodes today, and they said that Alejandro Alan had more winners in the semi-final against Goyon Tapia than Goyon Tapia put together and fewer unforced errors than either of them. So I think that just reflects how attacking he's been, how consistent he's being and, well, particularly his smash. He's just smashing it from everywhere. He's going into Lebanon's side of the court and winning the points with the smash and, wow, what a player he is and I'm glad to see that they're both back. Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of confidence in him, which I haven't seen before. 
I think, as you just mentioned, the fact that he's taking up so much of the court once he's about to smash, especially going into LeBron's side and just being calling for it, like telling LeBron, like, hey, I've, I've got this. I think it just speaks volumes into how he is doing with, with his smash. I think previously he's always been very much into LeBron's side and taking, let's say, mo- most of the aerial balls because obviously it's a, it's a better fit for him given that he's right-handed and playing on the, on the left side. But I think that I, I've seen some balls that are just like very, that before he wouldn't have gone for them. Um, one, because of the depth of the, of the lobs almost basically touching the, the the serve line, but also in terms of just maybe being good enough for LeBron to be able to do a, an, an offensive bandeja or, or vibora. But he's, his, his smash now is so good. It's honestly uh, probably the best in the in the tour at the moment because Coelho and Tapia have both, I think, slightly dropped off in that sense. So, yeah, it's he is, I think... Given LeBron's consistency, he's not doing as many unforced errors as he was before. I think before there was an element to his game when he was getting back from injury that his shots weren't as powerful or as decisive. But he was, I think, as well, committing a lot of unforced errors. Whereas now you've seen that side of his game just completely like go away essentially and and being back to what he was before in terms of just barely not committing any any silly mistakes and uh, yeah the combination of that and Galan being as offensive as ever and as determinant as ever I think just uh, has put them ahead of 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 Coyo and Tapia and of uh, of Super Pibas as well at this moment in time for sure and to be honest I think it's obvious that what's really helped Galan is Lebron being back confident. And it sounds really straightforward. But what I mean by that is we have spoken throughout the season about the fact that it almost felt like Galan probably had the feeling that he had to do everything because Lebron was a bit of a mess mentally. And I think the mental side of Lebron's game was what was really lacking because he was having as we've just said, to reinvent himself. And I think he was probably trying to go a little bit too fast. He is, of Lebron, this is, he's obviously a gifted and one of the most gifted and most talented players that Paolo has seen. And he's probably struggled to think that he has to reinvent himself and see that execution wasn't going his way. So Galan, I think, was probably trying to carry the weight of the pair on his shoulders. And that was probably a bit too much pressure for him. But now that LeBron's pulling his weight, not just pulling his weight, but he is right now the best forehand player on tour, Galan's just unleashed. And I think the fact that LeBron is back has given Galan a lot of confidence in himself. So, yeah, as I say, great to see. And the season's going to be a little bit short for them, given that we've only got three tournaments left, two World Paddle Tour tournaments and one Premier Paddle tournament. But just going into the tournament itself, Gons, do you want to give me your major disappointment or major disappointments first? Yeah. Well, there, to be fair, there, there have been a couple of pairs that I think have left or they exited earlier, probably than most people would have thought. I'm thinking, obviously, of Koki and John Sant, who, who lost in the first round, although they did lose to 
Ruiz and Bergamini, who've had a sensational tournament and a sensational end of the year. So maybe it shouldn't be as, as much as a surprise. Then obviously you've got Juan Tello and uh, um, Alex Ruiz as well, losing in the second round. But I'm going to go a slightly different direction. And I'm going to go with one person in particular, which maybe is a bit too harsh, but I feel like Arturo Coelho has not had the best end of the season. And I think in particular this tournament, he's just, he's just yeah he's it just like as if he was a ghost basically just feels like he's not in the court I think before there was such a presence about him even just emotionally as well like how involved he was in the matches how he shouted but I feel like over the last couple of tournaments this side of him has been completely missing now I'm pretty sure that they must be dead and obviously I think they're just not, they, they haven't arrived as fresh as, for example, Deodon Angalan have, who obviously haven't played as many games up, up until this moment, like as Coelho and Tapia. But I just feel like Coelho, they just feel very, well, he in particular feels very slow. I remember watching the semifinals and just moments where you would think he would advance and normally he's so keen to get up the net so quickly and stay there. And he's just like waiting at the back or even moments where Tapia is essentially playing and he's just almost standing there, like literally not moving anything or an arm or foot or anything. And I feel like that is translating as well into his smash. And I saw one point in particular in the semifinal. I can't remember exactly how it ended, but it was basically uh, Coelho going for a smash. But honestly, it's one of the worst smashes I've seen in my life where it, the ball, like, it just doesn't even, it just goes straight. And he hits the ball so low, like, given the reach that he has as well, where he can hit it so high and, and make it bounce off the glass really high. So then the ball comes up. But the ball literally just went straight and Lebron was, like, there to, to put it away, essentially. But I feel like his, and I'm not... I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing, if it's a physical thing. It's probably both. I don't want to go super hard on him. And obviously, he's had like an astounding season. And even though they're not ending as well as as maybe they would have hoped, I still think they, they, they've they had a 10 out of 10 season. But yeah, I think this, this sort of ending is giving me a bit of a... Um, bad taste in my mouth, if you see what I mean, given how well they've, they've performed throughout the whole year. I agree. Well, I actually probably would go for Coyo as well as my major disappointment because, as you said, Gogi and John lost against Benjamin and Ruiz, who were my personal highlight of the tournament beyond, obviously, Lebron and Galan. But to an extent, I'm not really surprised anymore about Lebron and Galan's level. They're yeah. back at their best. So I really did feel that Benjamin and Ruiz were the big standout. They obviously didn't have to face any of the top seeds until the semi-finals. So their run wasn't particularly tough, as per se, but they beat Gokki and John, who have been performing really well since they've been, well, paired up together. Although it is true that over the last few weeks, Gokki and John have deflated a little bit, I'd say. Their results aren't been as good, haven't been as good as they have been recently. But yeah, as I say, Beyond Bella and Ruiz, who were sensational and he managed to steal a set from Super Bives in 
their semi-final, which I think is a major milestone, to be honest. And I just wanted to take a moment to highlight how well Victor Ruiz is playing. And I wonder whether any top forehand players, not saying that Benjamin isn't there, he definitely is, but we saw Ruiz play with Yanguas in one of the tournaments recently. I'd love to see them play together next season. Or who knows, John Santh and Victor Ruiz, if John Santh and Gokinieto decide to split. I really think that Victor Ruiz should be in the question in terms of top pairs moving around. But yeah, just going back to Coelho, it was obvious that mentally he was really struggling. I almost saw that, I don't know whether you picked up on this, but when Coelho and Tapia walked on the court to play their semi-final against Lebron Galan, Lebron Galan were really smiley, kind of hyped up. And Coelho and Tapia weren't really smiling. They almost felt a bit, it, it looked like they were nervous. Hmm. And it's obvious why. they did. It did seem like the number one ranked in the World Paddle Tour rankings was set a few months ago. And now they could lose it. Although, as we've mentioned, it's quite hard for them not to achieve it. I think if they make the semifinals in the next two World Paddle Tour tournaments, which are the only World Paddle Tour tournaments that are left, they will retain the number one spot, even if the Superbius win both tournaments. So they should keep it. But yeah, I just feel like pairs have really started to figure out Goyo and Tapia. And even though Goyo and Tapia only really struggle, and I'd say are only really likely to lose against either the Super Pibes or Alan and Lebron, because I don't think the rest of the pairs are ever going to be favourites coming into a match against Tapia and Coelho. I do feel that Tapia and Coelho have really hit a wall. And I'm slightly worried in terms of what that's going to mean for them for the next season, even if they retain that number one spot. Because... Do you think, just a quick one, do you think yep. it's definitely more other players figuring them out or how they are physically at the moment? It's a good question. I think it's a bit of both, but I'm slightly worried that it could actually be a little bit more regarding the fact that they've been figured out. Because when you see Goyo on the court, because Goyo and Tapia have even struggled against, for example, El Oveja and Sanyo Gutierrez. They were close to losing that match. I know they won it in three sets and they won the third set 6-1. But that second set, they could have lost against El Oveja and Sanyo, and then they would have been out of the tournament. And Sanyo and El Oveja are a great pair, but you would have never expected them to really cause a proper threat to Dabian Guayo. So I just feel that they've really figured out that if they play most of the lobs to Guayo, given that Guayo is not really confident up in the air because his ruler isn't working particularly well and his smash, as you say, isn't being as effective, then it almost feels like Goyo and Dabia lose their advantage. And Goyo really doesn't feel very comfortable at the back of the court. At the start of the season, it felt like his defending was really, really good. But against Lebron and Galan, all his lobs were coming up really, really short and Galan was just putting them away. So even though I'm sure, as we mentioned a lot of times, that they are the pair or one of the two pairs alongside the Super Bibes, 
that played the most matches this season. I'm sure that's affecting their performance at the moment. I do feel that they've probably been figured out a little bit. And, well, who knows what that's going to mean for next season. <laughs> yeah, I guess to their advantage, they probably have the whole preseason to adjust. Now, I will say that personally, I think as players, both Koyo and Tapia, I wouldn't say that they're your classic all-round really good paddle players and have absolutely every shot. I think that both of them have potentially best shots on tour uh, in spe- like being very specific with specific shots. And that what that's what makes them so powerful, especially offensively. Whereas I think a pair like Lebron and, and Galan, I think that as paddle players, they're just more well-rounded, similar to Stupandinen. I think they're just more well-rounded where they're perhaps, perhaps like a nine, eight uh, at a minimum on every single shot. Whereas I feel like Coelho and Tapia, have specific shots where they're like, okay, they're clearly the best, like that's the best shot on tour. But uh, yeah, I wonder if, I guess the physical component, all the wear and tear that they've had throughout the season is obviously making these shots less as effective. And because they don't have that well-rounded skill set everywhere else, it just makes their overall play decrease a little bit. Uh, But I can definitely see like the other players figuring them out. And I think that it'll be very interesting to see how they develop uh, in the preseason and, and then how they start on the, the 2024 season. I think up until now, we really haven't had the chance to see everyone at their top level, which is a bit of a shame because uh, I think that's what all paddle fans want. I think at the beginning of the season, it was very clear that Lebron Angalan struggled with niggles, with injuries. And then, then Koyo and Tapia had that phase as well, uh, heading into the summer. Then Stupan Dineno a bit. And then now Lebron Angalan are, are back and they've had like a lot of time to compete and, and get better. They're more fresh. And then Koyo and Tapia are, are obviously struggling a bit more. Uh, Los Super Pibes as well so yeah it's it's very interesting I don't think we've had like a moment in time where it's like okay everyone's like rolling they're all like great there's absolutely no concerns um, and I'm just hoping that in, in 2024 we, we do get to see this I think another thing that I want to mention around Malmo and this is a bit of a shout out but uh, I really want to highlight as well the work of Jorge Martinez who's the current coach of Ale Galan and Juan Lebron now not only I think he's done an absolutely brilliant job job with them since taking over um uh, Mariano Amat and and given he's left but I think that in general this Malmo Open was absolutely outstanding for the M3 Academy as they've had um, I believe six out of the eight finalists, so taking into account the women's side as well, come from the, the M3 Academy, which is just absolutely amazing. And Jorge Martinez is obviously one of the, the leaders there and the, the main coaches of um, Lebron Angalan. So look, I think as well, I'm pretty sure that he's had a hand in how Lebron is playing now. And I guess the technical and tactical adjustments of having to remove his best shots, but make everything else absolutely unstoppable. 
and I wonder as well if he's had any any influence in in Galan's um, change in Smash because now it's honestly probably the the most deadliest shot on tour. Um, so yeah, I think massive shout out to him and the whole M3 Academy who I think have done a, a stellar job so far. Agree, that's actually a great shout. And I did actually watch the women's final for a bit, and I don't want to delve too much into the final because it's not obviously one of our main topics, but I thought Bea Gonzalez was honestly outstanding. Her Bibora is as good as many of the men's Biboras, and the ease with which she manages the Bordres is sensational. I wonder whether for next season, Bea Gonzalez might consider teaming up with Alice Alazar because I think that pair would probably be the strongest pair to challenge Ari and Paula and even Gemma and Marta. But yeah, we'll see. In terms of the men's final, Gonz, I just wanted to pinpoint one specific moment, which I thought was key. Obviously, Lebron and Galan won the first set 6-3. And in the second set, they, well, Stupan were 4-3 up and Love 40 up. Get, uh, on Lebron Angala's serve. And that first break point that Lebron Angala saved is with one of Lebron's unbelievable magic drop shots. And if I'm not mistaken, they then win the next... Well, they, they have to win those points because they would have lost the game. If not, they win the next three points with two sensational smashes from Galan. Really risky smashes because they're quite far back on the court. But, yeah, I really thought that Stubandineno, even though they lost that final two sets to love, were a much bigger challenge to Galan and Lebron than Goya and Tapia were. I mean, Goya and Tapia only won three games. And Stubandineno were inches away, I think, from clinching the second set, taking it to a third set. So, another really interesting stat that I heard from our colleagues at Paddle Up was that Stubandineno actually won something like six more points than Lebron and Galan in that final and they lost two sets to love which is absolutely baffling but probably explained by the fact that five gold points were played in that final and they all went Lebron and Galan's way so it just shows how important the gold point is and the key points are in paddle and it's a bit of a shame that actually next season the gold point is officially disappearing because players have voted that they don't want it Really? I didn't know that they actually vote. So, if I'm not mistaken, Premier Panel offered a vote to the players and players decided that they don't want gold points, which is what Premier Panel has been doing so far this season and obviously all other paddle tournaments, professional paddle tournaments, that are what I mean by that is Premier Panel and FIP, really. They play normal advantage games. So, so I'm going to miss them. Yeah, I think from a fan's perspective, the golden point is so like cool to watch and, and so nice. But even as a player myself, I always rather play <laughs> out a full uh, full game going into a deuce and then advantage. But yeah, I'm definitely going to miss it. Yeah, I am definitely going to miss it. But I guess from their side, I, I also understand why, why they, they don't want the golden point as such. Uh, now, what I will say is that I think I also like when matches go on to very, very long. 
And I feel like with golden points, you just very, very rarely get to see those two and a half hours, if if at all. Like we've we've had a couple of those uh, this year, but yeah, in normally in World Paddle Tour, like you can have a final be over within the hour, uh, which is absolutely insane. So. I guess from a fan perspective, what you lose in the excitement of being the golden point, you might get back with those like epic long, you know, three hour plus kind of games that um, that just, yeah, is uh, keeps everyone off their seats. Agreed. And to be honest, Premier Paddle's seen some sensational matches this season. So I'm exactly. sure that the gold points won't be, they will be missed, but they won't make panel more boring or anything like that. Not at all. Yeah. In terms of the next topic that we wanted to discuss today, guys, is, well, I thought I was baffled when I saw this, to be honest. And I'm talking about Stubasuk's serve in their match. Well, his and Dineno's match against Javier Garrido and Momo Gonzalez, which was played in the quarterfinal round on the well la- Friday last week. And so for the fans that haven't or didn't watch it or haven't heard about it, the first set, which was a sensational set of paddle, I really, really enjoyed watching it. One of the best sets of the tournament, I felt. It went to the tie break and the Super BS were one point up. I believe it was eight seven and Russell was serving for the set. And when Stubasuk served Momo thought that the serve was high, basically that the ball was bounced above Stubasuk's waist, and he straight away called it as a high serve. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you call for a high serve, if it's given as a high serve, what happens is that the player that's played the high serve loses that serve. But obviously, if it's a first serve, it just means that they play a second serve. However, what it meant what well, what it means if you get it wrong is that you lose the point. And, well, what ended up happening is that the serve was given as fair valid, which meant that Stubasuk and Dineno won the set automatically. And then they actually ended up winning the second set six, love, because I think Garrido and Momo were just out of the game. Now, the reason why they were out of the game was because the serve was most definitely high. Don't you think, Gons? Yeah, that was absolutely embarrassing, to be honest. I mean, what a scandal. It was the serve was clearly, I wouldn't like it's not even above the waist. Like it was at his chest level. It could even he could have even hit with his shoulder, honestly. It was absolutely baffling. But I mean, if we are being fair, was it the best time for Momo to call it when it's set point? And as you mentioned, if if he wins the challenge, then Stupa has to go to a second serve. But if he loses it, he loses the point. It's just such a risk to, to call a high serve at, at that point. And then as well, another important thing to take into account is the fact that in a way, this is not an exact science. There is no uh, sensor or something that alerts the, let's say, the, ref- the referee and, and tells tells him or her like, yeah, this this was definitely a high ball and it's a high serve. It's very much left to the judge's discretion and the referee's discretion. So whenever you leave that sort of decision to to someone else and it's just 
basically a a subjective opinion i think that you just giving you just opening up yourself to to like such a high risk and and i feel like it's a bit unnecessary so having said that obviously like i mean it was just shocking because it was definitely a high serve but yeah i wish that in the future there's ways where this can be rectified because i do feel like it's a very easy thing to spot and if someone does challenge it given that there's cameras and and some sort of video refereeing system or something where you can very easily determine if the ball is above the waist or not but at the moment it's just a complete lottery and if i'm honest i don't i don't think i've seen anyone or i can't remember of any call that a player has has asked for high serve and it being given to them so yeah it's probably not like an opinion. It's probably not something that players want to call out. I mean, and especially after seeing this, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if players uh, don't don't call this out anymore. I think even in the final as well, they, they were sort of alluding to it. And then Galan said something like, oh, we know that given previous experience, it's not worth calling a high serve or something like that as like a joke, <laughs> sort of like half joking. Um so yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting one. But I think if 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 Paro strives to be the professional sport that it wants to be, wants to be included in the Olympics, wants to be taken seriously, and all of that, I think these are the kind of things that you definitely need to need to clean up. I think it is tough though because it's not. I agree with what you're saying that it is really it is quite easy to see. Because, for example, a few weeks ago, I was playing against a guy who was playing high serves the whole time, and it was just blatant. And it's just such a big advantage. It's really unfair. So I really do think that it has to be regulated. What really annoys me and would annoy me as a player is when you get the video review going, and it's blatantly high, and they don't give it as high. And that was the case with the Basel Observe. I just can't believe... I don't understand how we're evolving technology in sport and we have people objectively looking at it and they still don't see it. I don't think anyone in any of the comments I've seen, any of the pundits talking about the game, anyone said that it wasn't high. So how can the referees sat at home who are trained and coached to make these decisions not see it like we do? I'm baffled. I do agree that at the end of the day, it is slightly subjective, but I was I was just baffled. And yeah, I don't know whether you have any ideas about how it could be regulated. I just, it, it's hard to think, right? Yeah, it's hard. And as well, everyone, given each player has a different height, the let's say the, the height of, of everyone's waist is a, uh, is a bit different. So, I mean, the the first thing that comes into the top of my head is when they do this, like with, with the video and when they do these analysis is just doing some sort of measurements where you can like clearly see, I mean, very similar to how football do it with offside and, and the different lines and stuff. I think that given the amount of cameras that they have at their disposal and how close they are to the player, I think that it's a much easier job than in football because in football as well, the angles sometimes are actually quite hard to understand if a player is very much like like how close they are to to each other and if they're in the same line or not.
But I feel like the ball is so close to the player when you're serving that I think with some sort of line system there and you can clearly label out, I think you'd be qu- it'd be quite easy to determine if if a, if a mm-hmm. ball is, is high or not. But yeah, I mean, I think these are the sort of things that they, they should start cleaning up, to be honest, because you can't, you just can't continue like this. And um, like you said as well, when it is just very shocking that the the, the referee wasn't wasn't um, didn't give the the decision of, of a high serve because it was just so evident. I mean, as you say, it is true that it is quite easy to see. So maybe there's not that much else to do. It's just players keep on calling a high serve when they think it's high. And to be honest, I'd say most of the serves aren't high, even though they're in and around the limit. But yeah, what we do have to start seeing is that if they call for a high serve, there's got to be a metric and it's got to be accurate and it can't be like this. Exactly. I think think as a player, it is hard to determine if it's a high serve or not. I think it's only once it is like clearly a high serve that you can see that it really is. And I think this was the perfect example. I think Momo just very clearly saw that it was like a very, very evident high serve. And then at that point, you also have like the cameras lo- looking into it and everyone was seeing the replays and stuff. So, yeah, I don't uh, I just don't think I just don't see how something like this can can continue, to be honest. Well, I guess we'll see. Right. But yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was quite an in-depth analysis of the Malmo Open. It was such just such a good tournament. I think the fact that the court conditions were very slow made it, well, tougher for Goya and Dabia, for example. Probably It was probably a good thing for Lebron, given that his smash isn't being that important. A good for, thing for the Superbibes, given, well, we know how much they like slower courts because they're just two absolute warriors who make every ball but, yeah, I think maybe that's one angle that we haven't talked about regarding Goya and Davia's slight dip in form is I do think that courts have slightly edged towards slower speeds, which is clearly not in their advantage. But that's not the only reason for their dip in form. Anyway, don't know whether you agree, but it would be time to say goodbye other than that. Yeah, I think... Yeah, it probably obviously plays a factor. I just think it's a, at the time, I think it's a very small factor. I think that things like just the wear and tear of the whole season, potentially a bit of just demotivation as well, given that they're actually so close of clinching the number one. It's like, do they really care about winning another tournament or not? I think those are the things that are potentially contributing a bit more to to their um, to their just poor, weaker end of the season. But yeah, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye now. But as always, Hugo, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on and talk about Paddle. Yeah, indeed. Have a great week, guys. Thanks very much for listening and joining. Please get in touch if there's anything you'd like to talk about, anything you'd like us to mention in terms of topics, whatever that is. And yeah, have a great week. See you soon.